I'm Erin Wilson, and you are listening to Inside NC Labor, a podcast designed to inform and educate North Carolina citizens on the role that the Department of Labor plays in state government. Good morning, everyone. I am Erin Wilson. I'm Public Information Officer here at the North Carolina Department of Labor, along with my co-host, John Mallow. Yes, my name is John Mallow. I am also a Public Information Officer here at the North Carolina Department of Labor. And on today's podcast, our special guest is Harriet Hopkins, who is the Administrator of the Retaliatory Employment Discrimination Bureau, and we're going to be discussing the North Carolina Department of Labor's Mediation Settlement Conference Program. So good morning, Harriet, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, could you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and where you're from? Yes. um, I grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland, and I came to North Carolina in the 70s to go to college, and then I ultimately went to law school. Um, And I practiced law in Durham for several decades, and then I decided I was ready for a change. Um, So I took a position with the North Carolina Dispute Resolution Commission as a deputy director. And what that group does, it's sort of a quasi-judicial agency that certifies and regulates mediators in North Carolina's court-ordered programs. So there are a couple of places when people file a, a complaint in Superior Court or District Court that they automatically have to try to mediate their case. So we were certifying and regulating those mediators. And so after that, um, a position came open here for the, it was a deputy administrator position at the time for the Retaliatory Employment Discrimination Bureau. Um, And so I applied for that and started that job about four years ago. This job, four years ago. So if you could just explain some of the Uh, responsibilities of the Retaliatory Employment Discrimination Bureau, like what exactly you guys do and the things you guys handle. Okay. It's sort of a mouthful, isn't it? You know, when we answer the phone, you know, this is NORMA, North Carolina Department of Labor Retaliatory Employment Discrimination Bureau. (laughs) That's where the acronyms come in handy. Yeah, so we call it REDB. And uh, so we're one of the bureaus um, in the agency. And our charge is to investigate complaints that are filed under one of North Carolina statutes. The uh, it's called the North Carolina Retaliatory Employment Discrimination Act, RETA, and it is a, a statute that protects employees from retaliation in their work um, if they've engaged in certain activities that are protected by that statute. Um, in particular, uh, people who have, say, been injured at work. and and then are terminated and they feel like they were terminated because they made a claim under the Workers' Comp Act, or if someone has a wage and hour dispute and they complain about, you know, not being paid their overtime or something like that, and then are suspended or demoted or something uh, affecting their employment. And then the third um, main area is under occupational safety and health. So we get a lot of complaints from people who, you know, have raised safety and or health complaints with their employers. Um, and then feel that some action taken against them after they complained was because they complained. And that's the kind of thing that this statute is supposed to protect. Um, it's the, it's the complaining, if you will, it's the initiating, uh, a concern about something that is protected. In other words, the legislature wanted to, um, encourage people to speak up, employees to speak up, um, without fear of retaliation if they were clearly 
things going on in the workplace that needed to be brought to light. So what happens after an investigation of a RETA complaint? Okay, so we get about 400 complaints a year, uh, plus or minus, and not all of them are investigated. You know, we do some screening out of, of cases that don't really state a claim. For instance, somebody says that they were uh, terminated because of their gender or because of their race or because of, you know, a Muslim woman was not permitted to wear her hijab or whatever. You know, those are not things that are covered by RITA. So we will screen those out and we'll um, refer cases to investigators to investigate. And then after an investigation, um, what happens is we, the statute charges us with um, doing this investigation and then at the end of that process, we issue a right to sue letter, which is, it gives the um, employee the right to take uh, his or her case to court. Um, and that's sort of an important point about this statute is that if, if, I'm a, if I'm a worker who feels like I've been retaliated against for some protected activity, um, I can't just go directly to court. This is a process, the legislature set it up so that, that it goes through this agency review first. So um, at the end of the day, we investigate and issue a right to sue letter and then the person has to go to court to pursue their remedies. The other thing I should say is that the way the statute is written is, is we have very little enforcement authority. The, the commissioner of labor is charged with, with investigating these complaints, but is not given any sort of relief that, that can be offered to the parties. We can't recommend that the person be reinstated if they're fired. We can't fine employers who we find have violated the statute. We can't issue penalties. Um, all we can do is do a full and fair investigation and issue this right to sue letter. And so that's, when I, when I first came here, I, I found myself learning this statute and realizing that there's so many things that we can't do, right? And, uh, and that's sort of what led me into the, in the whole idea of mediation. All right, so could you explain what this mediation process is and uh, what are the, the key features, benefits? Uh, like you said, you, you guys kind of have your hands tied as far as being able to prosecute the employer mm-hmm. for any wrongdoings once you get through the investigative part. So what sort of benefits does the mediation process have? I'm so glad you asked that question. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Before I get into that, I should say that the statute does give the Commissioner of Labor the authority to take a case to court on behalf of an employee, um, but as a practical matter, every single one of these cases is very different on the facts, and they're specific to that person's and that employer's you know, circumstances and reality of the situation. And this agency simply doesn't have the resources to you know, take a lot of cases to court for people. So. So that, that, even though that's on paper um, something that the, the agency can do, it, we can't do that very often. So mediation is um, it's a positive way. It's a way to try to help the parties come to some resolution um, without having to go to court. And so it's important to, I like to try to distinguish between mediation and some other forms of dispute resolution. There's this sort of universe of 
what they call alternative dispute resolution techniques. And mediation is just one of those, but it's a very effective one and it's been used in a lot of different uh, legal settings um, at the community level, at the court level, um, for decades. It's very successful. And another one is arbitration. Um, those are the two main ones that people sort of recognize the names of, uh, but they're very different. Arbitration is where an arbitrator hears the case, makes a decision like a judge. Mediation is the complete opposite. Mediation is, is um, conducted by a trained facilitator and uh, the person is neutral, neutral to the whole thing. Usually they don't, usually a mediator comes to the dispute without even knowing anything about it. Um, it's the mediation skills that carry the day and help the mediator bring the parties together. It's not necessarily knowledge of the particular area of law. Um, so it's a facilitated conversation where the mediator does not make a decision, doesn't give legal advice, doesn't say who's right or who's wrong about a particular fact or legal issue or anything like that. It's really a conversation with the parties, usually separately. They start out together and then they separate where they explore, the mediator explores sort of what's driving, what's driving the motivation um, of the complainant, um, what is the employer looking for, you know, assessing what the barriers are possibly to settlement and helping the parties come to some conclusions themselves about solutions to their dispute. So the reason that is such a positive thing is because any decision, any, any decision that comes out of a mediation is with the consent of the parties. So the parties, it is their mediation, it is their process, it is their result. And so, you know, that's empowering to people. You know, not only do they want to get closure, but they want to feel that um, they've been heard and that their, their interests have been considered and that the other party, especially the other party, has uh, a better understanding of where they're coming from. So it's sort of a win-win. You know, the parties gain, if it, the parties, um, well, we used to say it as a mediator, I'm also a certified mediator, but we used to say that a, a effective mediation was where everybody leaves equally unsatisfied. Um, because everybody has to compromise a little and um, give up something uh, to be able to resolve it. I, I just had a, I'm sorry, sure. I had a little thought while you were explaining that. Just to touch on when you do give them the letter to sue, or the, is the letter right to, sue, to sue? Right to sue. Right to sue letter. Right mm -hmm. to sue letter, sorry. Um, are they able to take that and pursue like their own legal defense, or do they not even need any sort of impetus to? to pursue that from a, like a private attorney. I see. Yeah, so um, it's a 90-day right to sue letter. So from the date of the letter, they have 90 days to file suit in Superior Court. And a person can do that on their own, which is called pro se. But we always recommend that people consult with a lawyer so that they understand the process and, um, and get some help. But honestly, the vast majority of people that we see, you know, they're employees who are out of work. You know, they don't have the resources for, for an attorney. And that has a way of weeding out the cases that are not very strong, which helps the employers in a way because they're not having to defend a whole lot. But through the mediation program, we can help both parties get closure and 
not have and the employer doesn't have to worry about whether the employee is going to file the suit and the employee doesn't have to think about how to get a lawyer how to pay for a lawyer um, plus it takes a long time um, it, you know as everybody knows that things can sit in court waiting on a calendar for a long time and that by that time the witnesses are gone the evidence is stale the you know the mem people's memories is are, are not clear anymore and it'd be hard it's hard enough to prove one of these cases and you put in all those other barriers um, it's it's just really great to have an alternative to offer to people so you've discussed a lot of the benefits of what mediation can do in a lot of these disputed uh, Rita Kate complaints um, is there any particular Rita complaints that mediation is better makes better sense to use them for well uh, not so much based on facts but based on sort of where the case is in the investigative process that's sort of you know we can't offer it to everyone because we don't have the resources so we had that was one of the first things that we had to figure out was you know who are we going to offer it to and what are the what are the criteria and I, I didn't want to be in the position of trying to evaluate a set of facts to see oh well, this would be a good one for mediation but rather if the part so so what we came down on is that two different stages in the process we will offer it and we maybe may expand that if we can later but right now it's we call it early resolution which is before the investigation is completed and it could be at any point after the complaint is filed until the determination is made the parties may one party may say you know what Mr. Investigator, I, I really, I don't really want to go to court on this. I'm wondering if the, my employer might want to talk about selling the case. Or the employer might say, you know, I don't want to, or the attorney for the employer often says, before we, you know, incur a huge bill to defend this, um, let's see if we can settle the case. So if the parties both want to do it, because it's completely voluntary, then we will refer it to an early resolution mediation. So that's one place. Then the other part in the process is after the investigation is completed and we've we've found merit or no merit, I think I forgot to say that before, as a precursor to the right to sue letter, we actually make a determination where if, if it's merit, we're saying that we we believe we believe that the allegations of the of the employee are true. We have a reasonable cause to believe that they're true. And if it's no merit, we don't have reasonable cause to believe that they're true, which is a different standard than they have when they get to court. So it's, it's a lesser standard. So I won't, don't need to get into all of that. But so if, if we have found merit in a case, then we, we automatically invite the parties uh, to mediate. And so as it's caught on, it's a very small percentage of those folks that decline mediation in a merit situation. So that's to, that's how we that's how we decided, rather than on the specific facts of a case. Um, however, having said that, when an investigator gets involved in a case, um, they're getting pretty skilled at realizing that you know some cases do seem like they would be uh, good good choices for mediation. You know, a good choice for mediation is not a complainant that wants a million dollars and the employer says they, you know, they're not going to pay a cent. Um, so in, to that, in, in that way, we sort of assess, you know, how realistic 
people's positions are. And the investigators can sort of see that and, and suggest, you know, we started offering it as an early resolution tool. Um, you know, would you like to think about this? And so once you saw that need or that that, that was a good option to institute, uh, what was the process of formally enacting that or, or coming up with that program? It's a big job, you know, it's a big task to create something from the ground up. But I, I was I'm really lucky because at the commission, well, first of all, I've been certified as a mediator since 1996. So I, I've mediated hundreds of cases, uh, and a lot of them workers' comp cases. So I've seen the statute show up in the context of workers' comp cases and mediation. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so we had to, I mean, it was, it was a no-brainer that it was a, a good idea, right? Um, but I had all this knowledge from, first of all, I knew a lot of really good mediators, <laughs> you know, from my work at the commission. And we had, we had revised the statute, we had statutes, we had standards of conduct, uh, you know, ethical conduct for mediators that we wrote, we had advisory opinions. So I really, I, I, because of that experience, I have a, had a lot of information about the kinds of things that we would want to make sure we covered. And then uh, as I, when I came here, um, Jill, from the very beginning, when Christine was here and Jill was here, we started talking um, about this kind of a thing early on. And so what I did was we had, to, we had to answer some key questions first. And I won't bore you with all the details, but for instance, you know, what we just talked about, who gets to mediate? Who are we going to refer it to? How are we going to, the parties can't pay for this. How are we going to do this? First of all, is it going to be, it has to be voluntary. One question was, should attorneys be uh, permitted? And that was a short answer. Of course, if they have an attorney of record, then it's not like a Medicaid appeals where mediator, the mediation is held and no attorneys are involved. Would it be, how would we enforce confidentiality? You know, what sort, what sort of, which of the general principles of mediation were we going to be able to incorporate? into our program. And so I modeled um, the rules. So I started answering those questions and creating forms. So I, I wrote rules, standards of conduct, um, agreements to mediate, uh, tips for successful mediation, a proposed agreement. You know, so I started drafting some forms based on my experiences. And then I would run them by Jill and um, I, and I consulted with a couple of trainers and other people who had had mediation programs, such as OSHR, um, to get. And, and I tried to get someone at EEOC to talk with me about what they do in their mediation program without much success. But I tried to gather information from other agencies that had mediation programs and just sort of pulled it all together. Made a made a made a case for bringing it to labor with. Commissioner Barry. You've told us a lot about how the mediation process has begun and the types of complaints that come through the mediation process and that you have mediators. Where do you find these mediators at? Well, I've been really completely astounded at the support um, in the legal community and, and with mediators in particular. So what I did was, so at the commission, we there are about 1,400 certified mediators in North Carolina. 
And so the first thing I did was I went through, oh, and there's also a dispute resolution section of the, of the Bar Association. And I was active in that for years. And so I knew a lot of those mediators. So I put together, I generated a list of people who I know to be committed to mediation, who are very effective and very professional. And I'm fortunate to have worked with all these people. So it was easy. You know, I just, I went and I put together a list and I asked, I called each one of them and told them about the program and got some feedback and asked them if they'd be willing to participate. And I think only one or two said no. And it's completely pro bono. They're volunteers. And these are, and they're with, without a, with the few exceptions, they're all also attorneys. You don't have to be an attorney to be a certified mediator, but it's a really high bar if you aren't. So we do have uh, three or four non-attorney mediators who are excellent. Um, so I put together a list of, initially it was just about 15 people. The uh, commission has a, has a monthly newsletter or occasional newsletter quarterly, and they've allowed me to put um, an article or a, a, an appeal for more mediators a couple of times, and every time I do that, I get, I get, I don't know, twelve or fifteen people emailing me saying, "Tell me more. I'd like to participate." Um, so, it's it's just an amazing thing that people have stepped up, um, and they do it because number one, they believe in mediation. If you're if you're a mediator, you know you're all about trying to help people get things resolved, and they get they get some additional experience, they get exposed to attorneys who might choose them on another matter, you know, so again, it's a win-win. So the program launched in July of 2020, mm -hmm. and the first mediation was held in October of that same year. Uh, to date, how many uh, of these complaints have gone to mediation? Uh, what has the success rate been? How? How many of these are actually successfully settled or end on, you know, like you said, it's each party leaves equally unsatisfied, but it's still on a on a good note, I guess you could say, or without any ill will or malice from one party to the other. So if you could just discuss that. So we launched it in July, and then the, the way the rules are set up is once we refer it to a mediator, they have 45 days to get it scheduled. And so that's why there's sort of a, a lapse in that in, when we started. So it took a while. It took a while for people to catch on and really want to do it. Um, so it's been it's been sort of a steady increase in interest, um, which is great to see. Uh, so in terms of the numbers, um, I was looking at it this morning, and keep in mind that we have we refer them at a merit determination or early resolution, and so many of them are dismissal right to sue. So. Of that subset, we've had about 50 mediations, and of those, it, it's between 55 and 60 percent settlement. So 50 percent, I'm just elated at that. And the total settlement amount in those, okay, so we've had 50 mediations, and you know, a little more than half have settled, and the total gross amount of the settlements is, is right around $430,000, which is, which is incredible. I mean, these are generally not 
big damage cases. You know, we're not talking about personal injuries or pain and suffering. What this statute provides people is, you know, generally it's quantifiable back wages, um, reinstatement. That's not quantifiable, but that's worth something if somebody's not going to be reinstated. Uh, they can negotiate about that. Um, so I've been really quite amazed at at the success of the program, really. I, I am. So if <laughs> Very I could happy. just add to that, when you say about 55 to 60% actually are settled, so what happens if the parties can't decide what the outcome's going to be? Is there like, okay. do they move on to That's further legal question. action? or? Right. That's a great question. So if it's if it's in the context of early resolution, um, if they've asked for mediation and they've gone to mediation and it doesn't settle, it's impasse is what it's called, then they haven't given up their right to their investigation. So it goes back into the queue to be assigned, or if it was already assigned, it goes back to that investigator to work it up. If it's merit, the, the determination has already been made, they don't settle, then we just issue the right to sue letter. So we wait until that process is over before we issue the right to sue letter. So looking into 2022, how many cases are scheduled so far? Um, I, I have at any one time um, average of five or six requests to try to schedule. Um, in January, we had, we had four mediations. And those numbers, those cases, um, I'm sorry, we had four that settled. And uh, th that total was about $22,000 on those four cases. Um, in February, we have about five scheduled. And I just sent out referrals on two others yesterday. So it's sort of a, it's not a huge volume, thankfully, because I don't have a staff person. You know, I don't have a mediation coordinator, <laughs> you know. Um, and so... Yeah, at any one time. So, so they're not scheduled way out. They're, they're, we have a couple scheduled in March, but the ones that I, I referred yesterday, their deadline is late March. So, you know, it's 45, it's 45 days out. Now, many of them will get scheduled within that time, not on the 45th day, but um, it's steady, but it's not, it's not, it's steady. And so since the program is pretty new to the department. I know you mentioned before that it's a matter of people that make complaints knowing about the, the mediation mm -hmm. program, that that resource is available to them. What are the plans to uh, generate more interest or to get the word out there? Because it's not like you guys have a advertising department that can build out a campaign and, and spread the spread the news all over, but what's, what's your guys' uh, Strategy. Strategy for, yeah, thanks <laughs> yeah, for yeah. trying to come up with a, um, a good word for Well, first of all, I need to get something up on the website. Um, the other thing is I want to do, I want to be, I want to be able to communicate with the complaint, the, the bar, the attorneys that represent complainants and the attorneys that represent respondents. I would like to um, reach out to them and we keep a spreadsheet of, it's, it's imperfect because invariably we'll forget to add somebody, but we, we're generating a spreadsheet of those people, and I would like to do like 
batch emails. Um, now that we've got a, a good solid year under our belt, I would I, my plan is to do some sort of an outreach email to the to the people that practice in front of the agency, and then in terms of the pro se parties, um, we're pretty proactive in when when the investigators are assigned. They're proactive about talking about the different options um, that they might have available. So we do that in that way, and then um, podcasts like this, um, but really reaching out to the people who would be likely to use it as opposed to the public at large, right? Kind of want to have your target market that yeah. you already know that they're interested in pursuing something to address their issues right. so why not go ahead and offer those people the opportunity or at least inform them that this is available yeah. for them yeah if they didn't already know about it yeah and and also one way to do that is you know there are a lot of large defense firms that represent the employers in these cases and so once one person in the firm has had a, a successful experience with mediation then they're going to tell the other partners and associates who represent people in RETA claims um, that it's available. So I, I, it has been a steady increase in interest and I also have had feedback from the mediators. Now here's the thing, the mediators, they have a strict duty of confidentiality so they can't call me up after mediation and tell, talk to me about it or say what happened or even tell me what it settled for. They, can, they have a report that they fill out and they say whether it's settled or not. It's up to the parties um, to, we, we, re, I, we require that they let us know, either they, okay, so back up. So if it's settled at mediation, we can't just take their word for it, right? And say, okay, we're gonna close this case, dismiss it, close it out. We have to have something to represent that settlement. Either they need to give us a copy of the executed agreement or release, or the complainant has to withdraw it. And most of the time, if they're, if they're represented, most of the time the parties wanna keep it confidential, even though it is confidential with us. Um, it's not disclosable. Um, and so most of the time we get withdrawals. And so I have a form that is withdrawal um, as a result of settlement, which requires them to put the settlement amount on there. So we, we don't, I do keep it on a spreadsheet, but we don't disclose who got what amount of money, right? We just try to keep track of the dollars and the numbers so that we can track the program and see whether it is being effective. I got sidetracked there. I don't know what I was, what your question was. It was how are we gonna do outreach, right? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, the, the word of mouth thing is, is bigger than just trying to execute like an information mm -hmm. uh, campaign to spread the news or the word of, of the program it's more you want to have test testimonies I guess you could say of of people that were involved right. in the process informing someone else to say hey this this was really convenient it's it's a good tool to use maybe right. you should and this was a great mediator you should think about using this person in other cases and you know there's it's just a win-win all around and we I do have a questionnaire it's very brief it's not an assessment of the mediator him or herself it's just like were you satisfied with the process? Did, did it take too long? Was it too short? Really, really just boilerplate, like five questions. And of the ones that get returned, it's not required. I can't make them do it. But of the ones that get returned, they're always positive. 
every single one of them is positive. And, and there's an other place where they can write in, and with, almost without exception, they'll say, you know, Ms. Hall was excellent. She did a fabulous job. And so I always send that on to the mediator. Um, so, so what I'm saying is I'm not specifically asking about the mediator, whether they were good or bad, but yeah, they often want to express that it was great. So that's very heartening too. I mean, I feel like we, we do really have some good folks on our panel. Well, Harriet, we really appreciate you coming and joining us today and talking about the mediation conference program you have here at the Department of Labor, and we wish you luck as you continue into this year. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You for joining Always us. a pleasure to talk with you and talk about this program. Thanks so much for tuning in, y'all. And remember, your safety is our priority.